So are you high achieving professional who is trying to hide your story and you think that it's something that you need to avoid? I'm so excited to tell you how this is actually your superpower. So join me in this next episode of the Enough Already podcast. Had enough? Are fears and questions about your worth keeping you on the sidelines instead of making a powerful impact and income with your consulting or coaching? You're in the right place. I'm Betsy Jordan, and with my background as a consultant, entrepreneur, and personal brand builder, I'm here to say enough already. Let's uncover and package your brilliance together. Welcome to this week's Enough Already podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan, and we are continuing on in our imposter syndrome series. And I'm thrilled to have our guest today is Mary Beth Simone from Niche Partnerships um, Consulting, and I'm thrilled to have you here. So welcome. Thank you so much, Betsy. I am thrilled to be here. So what we're going to be talking about today is this whole idea around struggle for strength. And I think it's an interesting kind of situation is that there's a lot of high achievers out there like you and I who hit a lot of success, but we don't always come from the easiest of backgrounds. We don't wind up in this place because we had the silver spoon and we had the inheritance or we had this sweet ride to success. A lot of our success came from overcoming, but we kind of struggle. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that because that is a big part of your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you wound up in what Niche partnerships all about and how you wound up here. Okay. Um, so I uh, worked for corporate in corporate finance for about 31 years. And I knew that I wanted to retire early, but I wasn't exactly sure what my differentiating offer would be as a consultant. So in 2016, I, I knew that in 2018, I wanted to retire, but was trying to figure it out. And uh, in the process, one of my closest friends who had retired two years before me was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And she asked me at one point if I would be willing to help her husband navigate the finances if she didn't survive. And of course I said yes, but I asked her to show me what was going on in their finances because as girlfriends, we talked about everything, but we didn't talk about money. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I asked her to do that, but I now realize that the timing was bad because she already had such a serious diagnosis that it was a step too far for her to be able to sit down and show me what was happening. So that never happened. She did pass away and I did spend, uh, three months working with her husband intensively while I was still working in corporate full time. And I helped him get through the bulk of the information, but then the whole process took about a year. And through that process, I realized that all of us could do a better job at preparing for the unexpected. And that's when I decided to incorporate contingency planning into my offer uh, with Niche Partnership. So it's really interesting in your story. So I have a couple of questions. One is it sounds like that what got you to what your niche is, is the opportunity was there in the need and that you felt compassion for the situation. It wasn't like you had some sort of vision. It was just, you felt compelled into the space. Is that accurate? Yeah. So, I mean, I was a project and program manager. So my specialty really was at 
uh, unraveling complicated and messy situations uh, and clarifying them. So I could take something that was completely unknown to the majority of people working on the problem and I would be able to diagnose it, clarify it and create a path forward. So that was kind of the process that I used with my friend and helping her husband. Um, And at one point I was complaining to my husband about how complicated it was. And he said to me, who's gonna help me if you die first? And I was like, oh, I don't know that there's another me. So I should document everything that I learned and teach you how to do it the way that I taught her, you know, my friend's husband. Uh, And that's when I realized that, you know, this is really a good fit for my skill set to help people navigate an issue that they don't even know is, uh, is a potential future for them. So I just, I love that your heart led with the opportunity that you just saw that but it seems, sounds like you used the similar skills that you had before. You just applied them in a new way. So it wasn't like you became a different person, but you exactly. just took took the skills and then you just reapplied it. I know when I work with a lot of my clients, they don't always see how these transferable skill sets kind of match. But for you, you saw it very clearly. How did you, how were you able to see that I could just shift it this way? Yeah, so I guess that's the part that comes naturally to me is the problem solving and then creating process and a strategy out of confusion. Uh, So yeah, you're right. I used exactly the same skills that I used in corporate uh, to uh, figure out, you know, the path forward in this problem and to create it as a business moving forward. So let's back up for a second. What is this what made you decide to leave? So what was making you think like, oh, I just want to leave corporate? Was it this situation or was there another situation? So there were probably, there were a couple of things. So one, I had been there for close to 31 years. So by the time I was there 25 years, I was eligible for the retirement, the retiree benefits. But the sweet spot in the benefits happens if you stayed until about 30 years. So I thought, well, if I like what I'm doing and I like who I'm reporting to, then I will stay, um, you know, I'll stay as long as I'm enjoying it. So then uh, a couple things happened. I My boss changed and it was somebody who I did not really enjoy working for or with. Um, So that was one thing. And I was kind of at that sweet spot area. And I had this vision of what I was going to do next. And I realized that I didn't have any competitors in this space. And I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, I had reached all of my goals at corporate, and I'm just going to make that shift, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to move on and focus on my business. It's so funny is that every, all the clients that I work with, I know we all wish that we just decided to leave corporate and start our own businesses purely out of like, oh, I just see something better, but it's usually something either you lose your job or you're, you report to someone else that you just say, all right, that's it, you know, or there's something else that happens kind of tragic, like your friend who passed away. And it sounds like she was pretty young when she passed away. 
She was. She was 58 when she died. Yeah. So she had retired early too. And, you know, and she just didn't get that much retirement time in. And that's probably another thing, Betsy, is that when I saw that happen to her, I just thought, you know, we're not guaranteed anything. So if I have the ability to do this, I really wanted to have my own business. And I knew that if I were to die early and not have the opportunity to have my own business, that I would regret that. Yeah, we're exactly the same. That's that's what got me to leave Disney is when my dad died. I tell that story all the time is when my dad died, it was this wake up call. And there's something about getting your corp- your identity all through corporate and then not knowing not and then deciding like I don't want to have my whole identity wrapped up in corporate which sounds like I want more in my life I want more meaning more purpose so it sounds like you're with your situation with your friend it was a twofer it was she died young and you didn't want to do that and the way that you supported her husband just kind of opened up this eye your eyes to say you know what I can kind of go down this path yeah and it wasn't something that so in the beginning, I was just, it was so challenging to be in this situation, to be figuring this out. And then when I would talk to people, um, they would say to me, oh, you should do this for a business. I would totally hire you to help my husband. Like I would tell my husband, if something happens to me first, you need to talk to Mary about it. And people were saying this to me over and over again. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, there's no way I want to do this this way. And, um, and then eventually I realized that what I didn't want to do was focus on helping people in the middle of an emergency. I wanted to focus on helping them create a plan so that they're prepared for an emergency. Wow. So it was, it's like, you just had this clarity on, this is what I want to do. So it's interesting is, so I'm putting, people might be wondering like, well, why are you talking about this in the context of imposter syndrome? So it seems like she's super clear, but you didn't necessarily get there because there's another part of your story of learning how do you accept struggle? Part of the reason why I think that a lot of us who are consultants and coaches mid-career struggle with imposter syndrome is we're embarrassed of the story that got us to this place. But it seems like you'd resolved it because you had resolved your understanding around what might be others might consider a negative, you saw it as a strength. So can you take us a little bit more into your bigger message, like your why behind your business that you learned skills years ago from your own personal background? Sure. So I think the first time that I put the pieces together, I had written an article for Authority Magazine, and I asked one of my coaches to review it before I submitted it. And she said, she responded and said, I can tell that you have been handling emergencies since you were a little girl. And I thought, oh, wow, how did she get that out of these little snippets that I gave her in the article about my childhood? And it was so true. So um, growing up, I mean, I grew up in West Philadelphia and had a very challenging childhood. Um, so with both my parents, so, uh, there was mental illness, there was physical abuse, there was emotional abuse, all, all different kinds of things happening. Um, and so 
it was a very challenging childhood. And I think one of the things that happened is when, so I was the first person of my siblings to go to college, which I was really proud of. And I put myself through school. And after I graduated college and I, I got this job um, where I retired from, this was like my, my second job out of college. Uh, when I got that job, it was just such a prestigious organization that I thought I can't share where I came from with these people. They would never understand. I mean, everybody is just so upscale and so well put together and from, you know, wealthy local area. And um, so I spent a lot of my time trying to act and look like I didn't come from where I came from. Uh, But then the other thing that I realized while I was at corporate was that my ability to handle emergencies and um, unexpected drama that naturally happens in the workplace and especially in financial services was, you know, I approached it with the utmost sense of calm because I believe because I was accustomed to dealing with so much Um, so many emergencies, so much drama and trauma at an early age that when things would happen in the workplace, it didn't really faze me, you know, whenever there was an emergency. So then I developed this reputation where uh, bosses would say, oh, if something goes wrong, I want Mary Beth by my side to help me navigate the situation. And I realized, well, of course you would, because I know I'm really good in emergencies and I know why. So you've been training to do this your whole life. but I think so. So, so that's an interesting thing. So on the one hand, you've developed the superpower because of all the pain. But meanwhile, you're in corporate and you're hiding the pain. And you don't want anyone to know that this is where the superpower came from, which I completely relate. And I know I do this exercise with my clients where we start with the brain building and we go through their lifeline. And I see this theme over and over again is that we have both of these experiences. We've developed a superpower, but we're embarrassed by it at the same time. You know, I'm not sure how you're, how you've come to reconcile, like how you, you just saw the strength, but you didn't carry the shame with you around it. Well, I think that I did carry the shame for a really long time. And I think that that caused me a lot of underlying stress that I didn't even realize that I was experiencing because it was always trying to like cover up in some way or not let this part be exposed, you know, Um, even just with simple questions like what did you do over the holidays and it's like well you know like maybe my answer isn't the same as most other people's answers you know um so those kind of things like overly I would overly analyze my responses my reactions to everything which I think created another level of stress which you know now being an entrepreneur it's just so freeing to be at a point where I can integrate everything uh, about my life and, uh, show up as more of a whole individual. So you're, first of all, I'm so impressed. Like I, I mean, we've, I've seen you in several other circumstances and it really is true. You're always that calm person, you know, and it seems like you've just developed that over time and your resilience is tremendous. 
did that resilience help you as you went through some of the new things that might have been scary starting your own business, marketing yourself and putting yourself out there? I know you're moving into becoming a much bigger speaker and, you know, you're pursuing all of that. Does, is that, you know, how do you keep managing this as you keep growing? Yeah. So I think that it was challenging. You know, you were saying earlier about having that, um, being connected to that corporate persona. I think that that was very much a part of how I saw myself and people close to me saw me as being, uh, you know, connected with that corporation. And I think that that was a difficult uh, transition to a certain extent, figuring out who I am and what do I represent um, with this, you know, starting with having my business uh, on my own. I had so much to learn as an entrepreneur. I mean, the various apps and everything, I just felt like I was in a constant, on a constant learning curve. It was just very challenging. Uh, But it's all been fantastic. Thank goodness I was a project manager because project managers don't necessarily have large teams to delegate to. So we always did mostly everything ourselves. Um, So having that type of background and the ability to research and test and, you know, try things out was definitely very helpful. Um, But it did take me some time to really feel confident again about my brand and my business. I think one thing that I did was after I retired, I uh, became a certified fitness instructor for Les Mills at our local Y. And going through that process helped me to uh, balance out like the very cerebral work of becoming an entrepreneur with a very physical uh, pursuit. And I think that that helped to keep me balanced and it kept me in front of people. So I was teaching, I was speaking publicly, even though it it might not be what you would think of as normal public speaking. It kept me exercising that muscle of feeling nervous, showing up in front of a room, that kind of thing. So that by the time I was ready to start public speaking again, uh, I wasn't too out of practice. So it sounds like you surrounded yourself with a growth container of some kind, you know, that you didn't just try to DIY this whole thing. It sounds like you Put, you're surrounded yourself. We well, you got the information, but you had people, and you and you had deliberate growth strategies. Is that am I hearing that accurately? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I have a great network of business owners around me. So my husband has owned a business for as long as I've known him. Uh, so with him being a business owner, he, you know, his circle is naturally includes a lot of business owners. So when I needed referrals and resources, I had these excellent people to tap and to ask for recommendations. So I feel like right off the bat, I had the opportunity to work with some of the best people, uh, to help me get through the challenges, which of course there were some. Can we talk about the imposter syndrome relative to the corporate persona? I think that that's an interesting topic because I think a lot of us feel shackled by that corporate persona. I think corporate's interesting right now. There's this whole push with, especially with Brene Brown to be authentic in the workplace. And it seems like it's just like, hey, can we make a more authentic looking persona, but it's still a persona or mask that we wear? 
you know, what is, what's your experience, you know, going through the corporate, the corporate time period where it sounds like you wanted to be more yourself, but you were hiding it. Why, why is this corporate? Tell me, let's talk about a little bit more about the corporate persona. I'm going to throw it back to you and get, yeah. let you comment on it. Yeah. So one thing that stands out for me that I used to raise occasionally um, in some of the groups that I volunteered for in corporate was when we look at uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion from that perspective in the workplace, we never hear about that including people from traumatic backgrounds. That's not part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that it's a miss because if we want people to bring their whole selves to work, which is what was you know, proclaimed when I worked in corporate, um, that was one aspect of people's backgrounds that we really didn't welcome. Um, you know, that it might seem you know, like too negative or, you know, too too emotionally, yeah, emotionally draining or whatever, you know, but I think that it's so important because some of the dynamics in corporate life can be triggering, um, you know, to people with traumatic pasts, you know, even when you think of somebody who's in a domestic abuse situation, like that kind of information typically isn't welcomed, right? And so if there are requirements to work overtime, which sometimes happened, and um, you know, if you're if you're looked down upon for not complying with an overtime request, but if the if it's not if it's not welcome for you to share that because of my home situation, it's too dangerous for me to work overtime. I need to leave on time, you know, like, I mean, then I feel like the business is really missing a key part of what's going on with that employee, you know, and and how to really make them effective. And also like you just put it in the shadow because if if everything, if whatever is not dealt with goes into the shadow and we know what happens in the shadow is it gets more unruly and more disruptive, not less disruptive. So if you want to really help that employee, it's not going to be like, oh, well, pretend that you're, you know, you're like everybody, you know, or maybe everybody else isn't like that because I find it really interesting. Again, I do this lifeline exercise with a lot of my clients. And I know that you and I are not alone who came out of traumatic backgrounds. I know that it's an ongoing thing. And I think that that's where empaths come from. The people who are going to be consultants and coaches who are going to be listening in. There's a lot of empaths here. And, you know, from for the ones who at least will listen to my podcast or be on my YouTube channel, you know, we're not the, the, we don't flop on the narcissistic side, we flop more on the on the empath side and where else would the empathy come from if it's not from pain and struggle? I agree a hundred percent. I think that that says it in a nutshell. That's exactly right. So it's like if, you know, if we can create that safer container, but I don't know, is it even realistic for corporate? You know, is corporate kind of do its job and then you know, it's supposed to have these rules and regulations and make everybody kind of look look the same. And when people wind up getting to an empowered state, they leave. Or do you think that there is reform or opportunities within corporate? Is it even possible 
that corporate can change to be more of an accepting environment that's truly di diversity, equity, inclusion, and, inc and, and inclusion of all people, respect, appreciate, uh, value everybody for all the differences and they're all welcome to the table. Is that realistic or is it corporate does its job and everybody has to look alike? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting. I mean, the tone definitely is set at the top, but my experience in corporate is that each division and department all has its own culture as well. So there is an overarching culture, but then there are subcultures uh, in the corporation and the people who identify a connection with someone who is welcoming who is empowering, they will gravitate to that leader um, to work for them. So, you know, it may be a naturally occurring uh, event. And then for those who can't find someone to, um, to connect with, I think that they, they leave. Did you see it as let's equip and empower managers to the people who are more on the front lines of the employees to spot and recognize trauma? And if we just do that, is that at least good, better, and best? You know, like at least if we can just do that so that there's a little bit more sensitivity. It's more than EQ. You know, it's a deeper level of EQ to just say, all right, here's what I understand what's working. You know, if, if a somebody's having an extreme reaction to the situation, chances are I had a trigger more than they're just being disruptive. Like that could be an example. You know, is that a more realistic goal? Yeah, I agree. I think that that at least is a, um, that is like a lower rung goal, I think, is to have that awareness and the openness and the ability to accept that there is more going on to the situation that meets the eye. Um, and I think, that maybe, you know, more openness in uh, conversations and presentations that are done for employee development purposes, you know, where there's more honesty uh, shared in the conversation and an openness to identifying who else has encountered something like that, not just the person on the stage, right? There's usually somebody um, who is kind of on a pedestal, but we know that it's so much more common than, you know, I call it like the Oprah effect. It's not just Oprah, you know, it's many, many, many of us. You know, that is an interesting point bringing up Oprah. Like we all want to look at her successes and how amazing she is, but she's so amazing because she's got all this resilience. And I think that's part of the, the message and the struggle to strength is it's not just like I have a strength because I learned how to be calm but I learned how to be resilient, you know, that I have this, this interesting mix of tools in my tool bag that includes like, I know how to overcome, I know how to deal with stuff. I have, I have an ability to, to manage different things. Like I remember when I started my business and I came out of a whole bunch of stuff when I started my business and I, I, I started my business after a divorce that I lost all my money. And people ask me like, well, how do you get so fearless? I'm like, well, it's worth a cap and I already lost it all. Like, I'll get it back. You know, like it's, you know, you had a certain level of resilience. And I wonder if you have that similar kind of story around, you know, if, if I dig in and just deal with whatever got me to this place of wanting to start my business, if it's a struggle or even where my superpowers come from, that I, that I got other kind of skills that it's going to serve me. Yeah, I do. I do feel fortunate for having the background that I have because 
There isn't a lot that I fear or worry about, I think, because I just, I have this history to look back on and there's all these things that um, could have, you know, been really, I don't know, monumental and like ending success for me. And then, and I worked through it. I got past it. Um, so I don't have a lot of fear. And I think that that comes from all of the challenges that I have dealt with in my life. Um, I, so I kind of feel sorry for people who have, didn't have maybe as many challenges early on, because then I think the struggle has to come. It comes eventually, no matter how you start it out. Um, so that feeling of, you know, everything was okay. And then I had that struggle might be more traumatizing in a way of feeling like everything changed, you know, whereas for people who always, who grew up in, in a struggling situation, that's just the way it always was, you know? And I really wonder too, is there really anybody who hasn't grown up with some sort of struggle? Might not have been on the traumatic side to the same extent that we're talking about, but everybody has something in their story that they're embarrassed about. And I, and I think that's a big part of what the talk that you have, that you've been, I think you've been given all around the country around from <laughs> struggle to strength. But isn't that the whole point is like, we all got something and it turns into something positive. Like what's the gist of the message that you want to get out with your talk? So uh, my struggle to strength talk, the idea behind that is that childhood trauma shows up as strengths in the workplace. So um, I think that it's interesting when other people identify our strengths in the workplace, but we secretly know where they came from. And that may not be something that we ever divulge to people, but we know where it came from. Uh, so my goal is really for people who have had traumatic childhoods or like traumatic events in their life that they know has created resilience and strength in them. Uh, to embrace that and to honor the skills and the strengths that they have developed as a result of those challenges and really, you know, be proud of themselves and not be embarrassed and not carry the shame associated with those challenges. I think it's so, such an important part around what people actually pay for. So this goes back to the imposter syndrome conversation that we're having is what is what's worthy or what is our, where is our worth lie? And we think our worth lies in what we know, and it's not. It's related to who we are, and it's all born out of all these pieces in our stories, how these strengths in our story kind of merge together. And even as you're talking about your experience, like, yeah, you got project management skills, but it's your ability to manage crisis that came out of the story. You know, and that's usually the secret from branding that most people don't see, and they don't want to see it. That's why I know when I'm in the zone of genius with somebody is when they start getting really annoyed with me. Because I'm touching on both of these things, you know, because you heal your you heal yourself by helping others in the same way which you've been wounded. I know my brand building abilities come because as a child, I felt invisible. Like I always felt invisible as, as, as a child of neglect that my trauma was around neglect. And so that I, I want I, what I do is I make people feel visible because I felt invisible. And that's really where the superpower is. And I can go through client after client. You know, one of my clients came out of this um, chaotic childhood where both his parents were very, very different. 
and he learned how to negotiate, you know, the different kind of media, you know, he learned how to mediate at a very, very young age, you know, or I had another child, another client who came from like a lot of poverty and had to grow up really, really young, you know, grew up early, early, like they grew up, they became an adult very young. And so they're very passionate about equipping other people, making sure everybody has the training they need, you know, so there's something about that, that is actually not even just the struggle, the strength, but it's like your superpower, but you have to kind of overcome that part where this is how I got it. Is there any practical tips you can give around that part? And then if there is any residual imposter syndrome around what would get somebody to actually leave corporate like you did where you got a boss you didn't like after all of those years, is there any practical tips you can give on that end as well? I don't know if they're two separate questions for you or if it's one set of tips that you could say, you know what, here's what I would recommend. Yeah, so um, like, so for the first one with the the shame and that kind of uh, thing, I would say that one of the most important things for me has been uh, going to therapy. So I could tell that there was something unhealed if I was starting to get really emotional about one thing in particular over and over again. So I guess one of the biggest surprises for me coming out of a traumatic childhood, I've done therapy several times over my lifetime, but I thought after the first time that I did it, like, okay, I did it. I'm done. I'm good. And uh, I thought that, you know, that was then I wouldn't need it again. And then, you know, in my thirties, something happened and I'm like, oh, I just, I can't stop crying about this. I'm so upset about it. I'm such in a funk about it. So I went back to therapy. And then that realization throughout my life of like, oh, this is an unhealed spot. This is something that is coming up maybe from a different perspective than what I originally worked on. And I would go back to therapy and and work on that. So I've done that several times just when I need it, not on an ongoing basis, but when I need it, I go in deep and I do the work. So my goal is, is Can I ask you a question? Can I drop? Um, as you answer this question, I, I could see there's going to be a bunch of people who are like these um, cerebral high, you know, these high achievers, like I don't need therapy quick. And they're turning off the podcast before they do that. Can as you give your answer, just tell them why they don't need to turn it off, why it's fine for a high achieving executive type like you. Oh my gosh. I think that it is beyond fine. So because I can go in, quickly do the work and get out and come out stronger and smarter and just on fire, uh, like unlike the way that I went in. So the strength that I get from it and the fire that I get from it that propels me even higher and further is so incredible that um, to me, it's like going and getting your teeth cleaned. I don't know why you wouldn't do it. (laughs) It's just, you know. Or going to the gym. Or going to, yeah, so yeah, and, I and just, going to the I, gym isn't fun. I mean, the experience isn't, well, yeah. I, didn't find, I don't find the experience of working out fun. Maybe other people do. I'm revealing right, too much right. about myself here. But it, but the results, the results yeah. are what we're going for. So I, I mean, I guess part of dropping the shame is dropping the shame about mental health. So growing up in a household where 
mental, there were mental health crises going on. I highly value mental health care and I try and be an example of the normalization of mental health care. So for example, when my friend died and just, you know, being in the middle of that, watching her go through that, in order for me to work with her husband on a daily basis for two straight weeks, I knew that I needed to go see my therapist so that I could show up to him and not be an emotional wreck. I needed to be able to have that reserve where I could do business part of the time and do um, my emotional healing the other part of the time. So I hope that that makes sense to your listeners uh, who may be wondering whether mental health uh, services are something that would benefit them. Well, and I think that that's a big thing what you're doing. If I were going to say that there's a pre-step then, your first step is really to normalize the experience, you know, normalize what you came out of, like that's totally fine and normal. And second is normalize mental health. So then therefore you can avail yourself of the resources that you might need. Is there anything else that you would recommend that would help help transcend the negative effects of the trauma, traumatic background that created the superpower. So you could just kind of lean into the superpowers. So I guess part of that, the trick there was really making sure that my lifestyle was conducive to my overall stress management and my overall health. Right. So I've been, um, very, you know, picky about the way that my life is not, not over burdening my calendar, making sure that I have time for, um, social activity and my own rest and not trying not to overwork, which sometimes I'm not very good at. Um, and so just that the, setting those boundaries and learning how to set those boundaries to have my home life and my overall, uh, dynamics of my life set up so that it supports me. I just had an aha as you were talking. And I don't know if it's an aha. You might say this is stupid. Um, I'm wondering if the bottom line of what you're saying is that the way that you overcome it is you don't internalize the messages that you feel like you attach to the trauma. Take care of yourself in a way that you weren't taken care of as a younger kind of self. Like take care of yourself in terms of your mental health, your physical health, the boundaries around you. Because in your fear and a traumatic background, there were no boundaries. You know, you had to figure this out. So like kind of step up and not internalize. Don't become the internalized abuser to yourself. Be the opposite to yourself. That's exactly right. And I would say that there's a lot of pushback in our society about that. So, you know, people at work would say to me, like, I remember an older woman said to me, wow, you take really good care of yourself, like in a negative way. Um, because I did monthly spa appointments or, you know, that kind of thing, have a regular workout schedule. I make sure that that, like those things come first. Um, and I don't really make exceptions, uh, for those kinds of things, you know, on a broad scale. So a lot of people don't respect those boundaries. Um, and then, you know, the trauma background also has, this element of, I was expected to take care of everyone in my household, you know, so that whole thing of 
I always say, put your oxygen mask on first. You know, I say that to my clients, you know, they'll say, oh, well, this person needs this and this person needs this, but what do you need? What do you need right now? Do you need to take care of creating this plan for you first? And then you can start to talk to the other people who need things. Um, so I think that's very important and it is counterculture cultural and we have to, uh, we have to really set those boundaries if we're going to be healthy. It, it is super countercultural to corporate, you know, where the expectation is, is you got to work those 70 hour work weeks to be a good corporate citizen. And it's listening to your own voice rather than listening to your, what other tell other people tell you who you are. I think that's one of the biggest imposter syndrome crises that people wind up going through is corporate told me who I am. And I don't like this corporate persona. I don't have a new persona yet, which I don't even want a persona. I want to be my real self. But now I'm in this in-between zone. What am I supposed to do? But a big part of it is that I got to let go of this corporate persona who told me that 70-hour work weeks, work weeks made me a valuable person, where it's kind of turning internally and saying, no, I'm a valuable person, and I'm going to have the boundaries against these messages because they're not accurate or they're not even helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um... You and I were talking about the labels from corporate uh, recently. And like one of the things where I worked, it was like, oh, well, people who do what we do, they're not creative. Um, And there was always this thing of, you know, are you being strategic? I don't think you're being strategic enough. Those kinds of labels that at the time that you're ready to leave corporate, you may be walking away with the with having picked up these labels that others have put on you that, you know, we need to continue to challenge. And um, like one of my coaches says, like, that's their opinion and everyone has one. (laughs) And it's like, yes, it's just an opinion. It's not really the truth. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's learning how to separate out, like you are not your trauma. You are not these labels. And maybe you don't know all the details about who you are, but deep down you do, that part of you is trying to come out. So the more you can create a healthy, safe environment for that part of you to come out, the real self to come out, the better off you'll be. It sounds like that's kind of the the secret. And then you could be able to up-level the story around what even got you to this place. But it sounds like you've been in this journey for a long time so that when you wound up leaving corporate, that there, there wasn't a lot of um, like the stickiness that a lot of my clients experience around the late job layoff, the layoff or the intolerable that just happened. But because you developed all this resilience, you were kind of ready and you were able to see the opportunity. Yeah, I, I was so ready and, um, I didn't shed a tear on my last day. I was just so pumped up. I was so excited. I was just ready for the next thing. That's kind of my MO though. I'm very futuristic and I'm not very sentimental and I don't really look back a lot. Uh, But yeah, I was ready for the next thing and I couldn't wait to get started. So with all the wisdom we have now, if you were going to connect with your younger self. And if you were going to be able to go back in time and talk to your younger self who was going through everything, you know, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her that you're stronger than you realize. Everything's going to work out fine. And 
you need to trust your instincts because that's what's going to protect you and lead you in the right direction. You're going to talk to the part of the younger version of you who was thinking about leaving corporate onto this crazy world of entrepreneurship. With all the lessons you've learned now, what would you tell her? I would say that where you're going is beyond your wildest dreams. So what you think it's going to be, it will be so much better. And you're on the right track and keep going. Finally, if you were going to talk to someone who's sitting there saying, I want a business of my heart. I don't want the business that I should do, but I'm terrified that you know, people are going to find out I have these difficult circumstances that got me to this place and I don't want to be found out or do I, you know, and they're struggling so much, what would you tell them? So I would say that how much you disclose is up to you and that your power really lies in your authenticity. So when you're ready to open people will receive you with open arms. Awesome. And if people are wanting to tell us a little bit more about the contingency planning that you do do for your clients, do you do stuff for consultants and coaches who are solopreneurs or do you mostly work with companies? Like how could you help people who are trying to, you know, create this business? And there's, you know, other kinds of fears that people might have around, you know, kind of make this sustainable. How do I do this? You know, is there stuff that you're, you're, you offer in your, in your practice? Yeah. Yeah. So I help um, entrepreneurs and individuals create their contingency plan. And I primarily work with small business owners. Um, And what we do is we create a strategy over a four week uh, period where we, uh, organize all of the important and essential documents, document all of the essential processes for the primary financial manager of the home and or the business. And then I teach the uh, client how to review that information with their second in command. So they have to identify someone who will be their primary backup in case of an emergency. And we get everybody trained and all of the information organized when there isn't an emergency at hand so that at the time something happens that there's a process in place for people to follow to keep life and the business moving uh, smoothly until the person gets back on their feet or until an estate needs to be uh, dissolved. So what would be the benefits that an entrepreneur can get if they got a contingency plan like that? Yeah. So when I work with entrepreneurs, we start by creating the contingency plan for their personal life and then for their business. And then the third layer is we create a business continuance playbook. And so in the business continuance playbook, we document all of the business owner operating procedures, which are typically not documented, the ones that they need for people who they're gonna outsource work to or uh, contractors, they're all documented, but not the procedures that the business owner follows. So we get all of those documented so that if anything happens to the owner, then the key personnel in the business can use that to follow uh, and keep the business running. So what it does is 
when we take care of creating these plans, it relieves the business owner's underlying stress about what happens if I get sick, if I'm hospitalized for a month or if something, you know, if I need to leave the country and help parents or in-laws, um, that kind of thing. And so it relieves this underlying stress. And I see business owners just take off into new levels that they had not even planned on. Uh, so some people have started to uh, turn over their business to their adult children uh, and start their retirement process. Some people have been able to expand their business. Um, so it's just fantastic what it leads them to when they have taken care of this. So it sounds like on the bottom line is that they're protected in the eventuality from like kind of like that insurance risk management but it sounds also that this is the path to help a business owner think about their business separate from themselves. Like, it's not just me. I'm creating a business that has a life separate from me. And I'm thinking about my business differently. And so there's creative thinking that goes into all of that that they wouldn't have even considered. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Awesome. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, like, so um, can you give an address of like, is there anything? And I, I know you have some sort of freebie on, on that I do. Um, contingency plan. I do. So um, if your listeners want to go to nichepartnershipconsulting.net slash kit, there is a free contingency plan download for them. And if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to send me a message and say that you uh, heard me on this talk with Betsy, and I would love to connect with you. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I am so grateful to have the opportunity to just even get to know your story at a deeper level and just be inspired once again that what we feel cripples us, qualifies us for everything that we want to do, and that there's superpowers that we develop through overcoming difficult things. You're an amazing example, and I'm really excited to thank you so much to have, for being on this, on this podcast today. And for everyone who's listening, thank you so much for joining, joining me today and with Mary Beth. And we will continue on with another episode on the imposter syndrome, where we will talk to you we will talk to you more people who have overcome this challenge so that they can build a consulting or coaching business and a life that they love. So thank you so much for joining in and we'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in. If today's episode lit a fire on you, please rate and review Enough Already on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're looking for your next step, visit my website, BetsyJordan.com, B-E-T-S-Y-J-O-R-D-Y-N. You'll find e-courses and blogs that offer roadmaps for your success. Don't wait, start today.